This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 181. And the quote of the day is from Michael Jordan, who said, Just play, have fun, and enjoy the game. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers and industry professionals. Information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. If this is your first time checking it out, what's happening? What's going on? Welcome to the podcast. I appreciate you checking it out. You can go to drummersresource.com and you can listen to over 180 of these, 100% free. And speaking of free, every Wednesday I do a webinar called How to Get Bigger and Better Gigs. You'll learn how to master the secret weapons for getting the gigs you want. So I'll teach you why and how people get hired, how to create relationships with artists who you want to play with, proven ways to become a first call player, and how to get, and most importantly, keep the gig. And you can check that out, drummersresource.com forward slash gigs to sign up. It usually fills up, so get there early, get your spot, and uh, you'll be good to go. Now, let's get into the interview today. The interview is with Brendan Buckley, and coincidentally, Brendan and I have a very close mutual friend and uh, didn't even know it at the time uh, and, and sort of realized it right before we did the interview, which was super cool. And also, in this interview, we talk about a lot of different books and things like that towards the end. And the cool thing is, is audible.com is a sponsor of the podcast. And if you go to audible.com forward slash drummer, you can actually get a free audio book. You can try audible for free for 30 days and they've over 250,000 audio books that you can listen to and download to your, to your device. So check it out. Audible.com forward slash drummer and you can get your free book and start a 30-day free trial. So I recommend checking out Talent is Overrated. It's one of the books that I recommend in this interview. But there's other books and things like that that Brendan and I talk about throughout the interview. So uh, for those of you who don't know who Brendan is, we'll get into his his whole career. But he has been playing with Shakira for 18 years, which is an amazing stint for playing with an artist that size. And he's played with a bunch of different other people and toured and recorded and all sorts of things. Really unique guy. So without further ado, let's get into it with Brendan Buckley. Brandon, what's going on, my man? Thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. That's my pleasure. This is kind of cool to hook up that that uh, we have some we have some mutual friends. I always like when when worlds sort of collide and you realize that they're like, oh yeah, I know those people. Kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Wish we could have done this in person, but we we uh, we couldn't make that happen. But I guess since you're a Jersey guy, you'll be coming back often, so maybe we can we can hook up when next time you're here. Yeah, we can make it a regular thing. I like it. You'll be a I'll, you'll be a regular contributor on the podcast. I'll be your co-host, your sidekick. I like it. I could use, man, I could use a co-host. Mm-hmm. I need somebody who, uh, who actually knows what they're talking about. Let me be your Ed McMahon. I like it. So for, for the audience who, members who don't know who you are, I always like to build a little context of, you know, a little bit about your backstory. I know you're from, you're from Morristown, New Jersey. Um, you went to Miami, University of Miami. But, so let's talk about sort of the road that you went down to go from you know, being a young kid here in Jersey to Miami to Shakira. Like, I mean, that's a, those are three major steps. Uh, and I know that there's a lot that happened in between there. But just give us a little bit of backstory on it. Yeah, sure. I can uh, basically tell you that uh, pretty normal New Jersey middle school and high school kid where I did sports and uh, uh, music. I was in the high school band, 
band, the middle school band, things like that. Uh, I think things things changed when I bought a drum set from a neighbor, uh, used Pearl Export, and um, and then I started really getting into the drums. I liked it more than skateboarding. I liked it more than baseball. And I used to practice every day after school. My parents didn't have to tell me to practice. You know, I would come home and practice. And then I went to my high school band director when I was 14 uh, uh, and said, hey, I think I need to actually take lessons from someone. I, I can only teach myself so much from watching MTV. So he, he brought a guy to my school to give some lessons. And that guy's name was Tommy Igo. Wow. And uh, he, that, and then Tommy became my my teacher from ages fifteen to eighteen, and he uh, people might know this about him or not. He's a pretty tough teacher. He's really motivating and disciplined, and mm-hmm. doesn't take uh, any BS from anyone. So it, it it became like Full Metal Jacket for a while. He, he was <laughs> he was my drill my my Marine uh, uh, drill sergeant. Drill sergeant for several years. So did your then, teacher know Tommy? I mean, that's yeah. That's kind of. A, I was going to say that's a heavy hitter to just bring in. And, you know. To, yeah, they, they they were friends. They were friends. So he said, "I got the guy. I'm going to bring him in for you." And okay. So that helped a lot. And I mean, I would be nowhere if it weren't for that. Uh, for that band director and that drum teacher. Um, the band director was Daryl Bott, who's now the. I think he's the orchestral teacher at Rutgers. I can't remember Mm -hmm. exactly what his position is there, but that's where he is now. And uh, through those guys, I I thought about the idea of studying music in college. So they uh, helped me look up a bunch of different universities uh, in New York, in Chicago. And one of the ones that popped up over and over again was Miami. So I auditioned down there and went down there when I was 18. Mm Where'd you go? University of Miami? Mm-hmm. The University of Miami. Coincidentally, how old are you? Uh, I'd be, that was 92. No, no, no. How old are you now? now? 42. Okay. So you're a little bit older. I was thinking, because I, I almost went to University of Miami, because that's one of the only places in the country at the time that you could study both music business and music performance. That's true. And I wanted to do both of them. And so I almost went to, I was thinking that we would have been there at the same time, but you're a few years older than me, so we wouldn't have been. But interesting. Yeah. Inter- interesting. Great- Great school. They're pretty. Uh, they're surprisingly open about how you want to construct your major. Mm-hmm. If you're like, a, you know what, I just want to study hand percussion and a little bit of that, they'll kind of create a program for you. It's a very, it's a smaller school compared to some of the, the Berkeleys and North Texas States and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, so were you strictly uh, I, a performance major? No, I went down originally as a music education major. Okay. But uh, I, I played in the orchestra, wind ensemble, percussion ensembles. But by uh, a few months in, I also added a jazz uh, double major so I can play the, be in the drum set department. So by the time I graduated, I was a double major in music education and jazz performance. Hmm. Okay. So I know that while you were down there, you started really getting into Latin music, right? I mean, that's a, that's a big influence down there, right? Yeah. The whole uh, it's, it's more. Yeah, the city's more Latin than you can imagine, so it, it's it's unavoidable. Right, right. So walk walk down that road a little bit about okay, you're you're in Miami, and so are you at the at the time when you're getting ready to graduate? What are you thinking? Are you thinking you know I'm going to go into teaching? I'm going to go into touring? Uh, or how was that decision made? Or were you sort of dead set on touring? You know what, I even before I picked a school. 
I wanted to be a performer. So I picked a school that had a city where I can play and do gigs. I think it was important that if I weren't going to go to a school in New York City, I would at least go to another city where there was a lot of gigging going on. Right. So by the time I was I was there for two months, you know, I was already doing gigs at night. You know, I I go to go to school in the afternoon, like eight to five or something, and then throw my drum set in my trunk and play some kind of three set gig in a bar. Mm-hmm. And uh, that started right away, and that just continued. And it was very encouraged at that school. Um, all the ensembles that you would put together with other musicians, piano players, bassists, guitarists, saxophonists, vocalists, everyone would put together groups and go perform at night at different local places, either cover band gigs or original gigs. And it could be anything. It could be a, a jazz quartet. It could be a like a Latin funk ensemble. It could be mm-hmm. anything. Uh, so that happened early on. And I, I was doing that the whole time. And then, um, so it was a very smooth transition. It wasn't like, graduate, now let me see what I'm going to do. Sure. It was, I barely made it to graduation because I was already touring by the time I was a junior, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it, it took a lot for me to stay in school, actually. Uh, but I really wanted to finish. Um, uh, but yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think... There was no real like um, stop and start. It was just right. a smooth transition. You know, I I actually did this uh, a webinar last night about getting gigs because I think that a lot of people sort of get stuck in, like you were saying, the three set bar gigs, and people get into that scene, and then they're like, I don't know how to go from there to the next level, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of people see the the three gig or you know the three uh three set bar gigs and then they look at like the Shakira gig right mm-hmm. and don't realize that there's a lot of middle road that mm-hmm. so you sort of use one gig to leverage to network with people that are just a little bit higher and then you sort of walk up the sort of like building blocks to get up to that to that level did you for you was it the same sort of same sort of gradual process or was it just like it just hit and like I, I was talking to Aaron Spears last week, and he's like, man, I was working at a computer shop, playing in church, recorded this record, and Gerald Hayward was listening to it, and Usher's MD heard it. They called me, and he was like, next week I'm on tour with Usher. Mm-hmm. You know, so was it, a, was it this giant leap for you, or was it sort of a gradual process? Uh, I should say, one thing I like about your podcast is... You, you talk a lot about this kind of stuff, which mm-hmm. is is the stuff that I think a lot of drummers want to know. Right. And it's, a, it's the stuff that I wind up talking about a lot in drum clinics. The, everyone has questions about things like this. And I do think that for me, it's definitely very gradual. Mm-hmm. It, was a, it was just a 45-degree uh, incline the whole time. Um, and there wasn't one big moment. It was just a, a series of lots of little moments. And I never was... It's like I was never looking to score a big gig. I was just looking to work. Mm-hmm. I was totally happy to do a cover band gig or a wedding or a jazz trio with brushes. Uh, but I was equally willing to do a bunch of original gigs for people, which is, you know, you, you, some singer calls you up and says, I have this showcase and I want to do three rehearsals and do this 45-minute set at this club. And it might not even pay as well as the cover band gig, but I, I, would, be, I would do it. I, I just wanted to be on stage or in a rehearsal room with other musicians. Like mm-hmm. if I could do that every day, 
multiple times a day even, I thought I was on the right path because I'm learning music. I'm learning the vocabulary of music. I'm learning uh, other musicians. I'm meeting other musicians and networking. I'm meeting bassists and guitarists. And and I tell people this all the time. Uh, they they say like, you know, how do I uh, like how do I get gigs or how do I network? I'm like, just gig. If you right. gig, you're going to network and you're going to get other gigs. Mm-hmm. And you have you might have to take some really dumb gigs in the beginning, right? But you meet a fantastic guitarist on that gig, or you play a show at eight thirty at night, and the band that's on at nine thirty is smoking, and you stick around, you watch them, you learn from them, and when they're done, they get off stage, you say. Hey, I sincerely love that show. What's your name? And you do that night after night after night. You 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 enter this circle of mm-hmm. peers, you know. Mm-hmm. And I really think that that's the that to me is the the best way to do it, the most grassroots way to do it. Right. Um, and I was looking at a way that it, just sort of cultivating relationships. Like how how do you how do you add value to the situation that you're going into? So if you're already in a band, you can add value by you know hiring the cats in the band for other gigs that you're doing and things like that, mm-hmm. or, or getting the band that you're in other gigs, or, you know, if you find someone on another gig that you really want to play with, hiring them to play and things like that. And always sort of, for me, it's always been, you know, being sort of being the connector. What can I, what can I add to this situation? Not what can I take out of this situation? What mm-hmm. can I, you know, I don't want to be the guy that's going in. That's like, you know, poaching people, poaching other people's gigs or like, Oh, what can I get out of this guy? What can I get out of this guy? I'm the complete opposite. Like, hey man, what can I do for you? And then, you know, law of reciprocity, like that stuff is that stuff comes back tenfold, I think. Yeah, and 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 uh, vice versa. The the poachers, uh, they get a reputation for themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, there's a lot of drummers, and I, I don't want to name names, but they're pretty uh, well known for being the kind of guy who will never hook you up with a gig. They will ask you for 10 <laughs> gigs, but they'll never hook you up with one. And we all joke about that. Well, hey, you know that guy? He's always asking me for gigs, and he'll never turn on and give you one. Right. And, and, and the other way around is I have tons of friends who are the most generous drummers I know. Like, I moved to L.A. I think it's a big, intimidating city. And I've come to learn that some of the greatest drummers are also the most generous ones. Mm-hmm. They'll be like, hey, I can't cover this thing. Could you, could you fill in for me? Sure. And then I heard you did a great job on that job. Can you cover another one for me? And and then you in turn pass it on to someone else, and you develop a network uh, in your contacts on your phone or whatever of like drummers to always call when you can't do a gig. You, right. you call this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. And then I think people appreciate you when they call you to do a gig and you can't do it, but you give them eight guys who would all slay it. Then they're like, oh. Yep. Call Brendan. If, he, if he'll either do it or if he can't do it, he'll find someone he'll find who's somebody who, great. And I have a golden rule that if, if I have to cancel a gig on someone else, so if, if you're the guitar player, you hire me for the gig and I have to cancel it, I will not make you go get another drummer. Yeah. I'll get the other drummer. So yeah. I say, look, I can't make it, but you don't have to worry about going to find somebody else. I'll always replace myself. And yeah. if I can, I'll, I'll do the gig. Yeah, I've done some crazy things where uh, I can't do a gig, so I call up a friend of mine. Uh, to do it, and I'll teach him all the songs. I'll write out charts. I'll give him the charts so he doesn't even have to do that. I'm like, these are the songs. I'll even come over to his rehearsal space and teach him how the songs go. And maybe if there's a pay discrepancy, like he doesn't want to do it for under this amount, I even cover the difference. Mm -hmm. You know, the gig only pays this much, but he wants this much. I'm like, hey, you know what? You're doing me a favor. I'll cover the difference. Right. Uh, Because... 
it's only one gig. I'm, you know, I might lose a little bit of money, but I maintain the relationship with the artist and my friend who's filling in for me. And I, it's, I and, think and that's that word, that word spreads, man. Like if, if, if people know that you are, that you're always responsible, you're not going to be, you know, I, I, it's funny that we should, that we even have to talk about this, but it's true because there's so many people that aren't this way. But once people realize that, that you're trustworthy, that you're going to re- find a replacement, that you're honest, that you give gigs and, you know, you're, you're willing to help other people out instead of being stingy and things like that. And what I've noticed after doing 180 of these interviews, guys that are, you know, operating at the highest possible level are the guys that are the most generous with their time. They're the most generous with their gigs. They're the most generous with, with helping other people get opportunities. And they're not just holding on to them with that sort of that scarcity mindset of like, everyone's going to take my gigs and they give their students gigs and things like that. But you get guys that are sort of at the at the ground level and everybody's fighting over, over pennies. Like nobody wants to give their gigs away. Nobody wants to give their students gigs and things like that. It's amazing. It's tough because, um, it is drumming is a brotherhood. Mm-hmm. We're all friends. We all like drummers love to hang out together. If you ever go to a NAM show, you see all the drummers just hanging out together. Right. But also drumming is the world of drumming is competitive. Mm-hmm. So you're balancing this, this uh, fine line between, you know, we're all buddies, we're all in it together, but we're all after the same gigs too. And, and there's, a, there's, a, there's like an etiquette, a way to do it, I think, uh, where you're still, you know, you, you want to get the gig, mm-hmm. but you also don't want to step on your friend's head trying to get the gig. So you almost, it's weird. Right. Uh, there's, there's, I, I, it's taken me a long time to try to figure out the correct balance of, of being very um, helpful, humble, but also, um, w- confident and um how can i say it having the drive to try to get gigs you know right and you have to and not in a not in a uh, a greedy way but like you have to you have to watch out for yourself too you know like this mm-hmm. is this is your career and mm-hmm. you have to you have to make the right decisions so you you don't want to be out there giving every gig away just like oh yeah i'll just no it's fine i just want to be this the nice guy and i'll just stay home and not work mm-hmm. yeah. you know but but at the same time you got to you got to you got to give and receive, man. So yeah, and, and also I think uh, there's not one way to do it. Uh, so you have to kind of figure out what works with your personality. If you're a peaceful, passive guy, then you have to find a way to do it that way. If you're a super aggro, uh, you know, me or me or, or or the rest of the world like kind of guy, I guess you have to do it that way. If you're a talker, you talk. If you're right. a silent guy. Do it your silent you way. You seem like the the super aggressive aggro type. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, you know me so well. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm like uh, uh, some guys are just power schmoozers, right? You know, they're, right. that's their thing. And other guys are very passive, and they let the gigs come to them. Mm-hmm. And both of these guys could be successful, but they do it in a different way. And I see it happen all the time. One guy would he doesn't even have a Facebook page or do, would never pick up a phone and ask for a gig. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, yeah, that guy works all the time. And another guy, he is every day like having lunches and breakfasts with people, you know, like, sh- like asking, networking, networking. And that, that guy works a lot too, but they work for different reasons. Right, right. I, you know, it, you, have to, you have to sort of play to your strength. I talk about this a lot with, with people, even with social media, and they're like, all right, what should I do? Like I want to maybe start a podcast or start a blog or do videos and stuff like that. I said, well, do what you do best. If you yeah. like, I have a really good face for radio. So I do, I do. <laughs> so I, I do a podcast, you know, but like, 
if you're very good on video, then you should do video. So if you're a if you're a schmoozer and a networker, not in a bad way. Let's let's take all the negative connotations out of networking because I think it gets a lot of I think it gets a bad rap. But for mm-hmm. me, I'm really good at building relationships. I just always have been. Like I, I do that. Like I do the coffee lunch kind of thing. Um, and but some other people, like you said, are are not. So I think that you have to play towards your strengths and do the things that that work for you. Some people are leaders. Some people are sidemen. Some people, you know, some people are, are the guys that go out and get the gig. Some guys are just the ones that answer the call when the gig comes in. So I think you got to do whatever works for you. Because if you're doing, if you're trying to do the other stuff that's not, that doesn't sort of come naturally to you or isn't one of your strong points, it's going to be fighting an uphill battle the whole time. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you're not going to sleep well at night. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, like you said, the the power schmoozer guys, which I'm not one of those guys, but, uh, but other people look at them and they're like, well, I can't do that. I can't go out and like strike up conversations with 80 people. I don't, All right, well, then don't do that. Yeah, exactly. You know, just 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 play well and be a cool guy. And sometimes the gigs will just come to you that way, too. Right. Uh, there, there are certain guys that they need to knock on doors. And there's other guys who just need to be a great player. And sooner or later, the gig will come to them just from them being a cool guy and a right. great player. But it's, it's just a little a little bit of a slower road. But it works, too. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so I we got to talk about the um, the Shakira gig a little bit because I'm I'm interested to know how that came about and because at some point you're like okay I'm I'm doing these gigs and then you're playing with Shakira so this is that's a major jump in your career I'm guessing you know yeah uh, it was uh it, it it seems like it in uh, in retrospect but at the time it was just another job. Uh, if I if I were going to go backwards and 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 think about that time, that was around 1998. Right. Uh, I um I was already in Miami doing a lot of different types of recording sessions, either cheap demos or actual albums for different engineers and producers. I had a good relationship with several uh, music producers in Miami. And, uh, and a lot of artists, too. So at night, I would do shows for different bands, uh, sometimes two or three shows a night. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was a workaholic. And in the daytime, I would do uh, one song here or three songs there. I'd play drums on this record, percussion on that, an egg shaker overdub on this. I was just into doing music all the time. Mm-hmm. So And the Shakira gig wasn't like, hey, can you audition and go out with this big Latin pop star? It wasn't like that. It was an engineer friend of mine uh, who knew me from doing local gigs around town just said, hey, I got this girl coming to the studio uh, on Wednesday uh, to do a song. Can you play drums on this one song? They want kind of a rock vibe. It was that, it was that simple. So I said, sure. I, cu- I come, I play my rock vibe on this one demo. And I said, that was great. They love it. Can you do another one tomorrow? And I did that one. And then I did two more. And that wound up being five songs on a Shakira record. Uh, that she was doing in Miami, and I kind of didn't know who she was at the time. She was only big in South America. But the album comes out, becomes huge. They ask to put together an MTV Unplugged show for her, so they asked me if I'd be part of that band. Uh, all assembled with musicians from Miami and New York. So, and that's kind of where it all started, mm-hmm. was, was that record and that MTV Unplugged they did uh, upon the release of that record. Uh, and uh, I've been doing that gig for 18 years now because of That's that. Insane. And 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 each record she did got bigger. So right. it was kind of like I was. It wasn't 
like that cattle call audition you hear about where 50 guys show up to get a big gig. It was I kind of came in early and, and been part of that gig as it grew. Mm-hmm. And she, she wasn't even singing in English back then. So then she did an album in English and then she did an album that was kind of more world music album and this and that. So each album and each tour, you'd see that she would uh, enter more countries and and uh, the tour would get larger, you know. It's, yeah. there's, there's a lot of people who you know, are, are sort of in that situation where they grew with the band. Like I, you know, I'm good friends with Rich Redmond. And he's like, man, when I first started playing with Jason Aldean, we were playing it literally in bars for 10 people and doing showcase shows. And mm-hmm. that band just grew. Same thing with Jim Riley and Rascal Flatts, you know, same thing with, um, with, uh, Garrett, with Carrie Underwood. So, you know, a lot of these people, uh, and who the, uh, uh I think Kenny Chesney too, the same deal. It's like the, these weren't like, huge bands at the time so it's amazing that one that these careers are lasting that long like the fact that you've been playing with her for 18 years it's pretty that's a long career man yeah i know i I, sometimes i I forget about that and then people remind me right that's that's a that's been a long gig for you i'm like yeah i guess you're right (laughs) it's weird because she'll work for like two years straight like uh like nonstop, and then she'll take two years off so then i i do a bunch of other gigs in between and then i and then i uh and then she'll the manager will call back saying, hey, new record coming out. We have a new tour coming up. Great. So I'll do that again. And then, so I guess it has been a really long time, but it also feels like I've been doing so many other things that I, I, I don't look at it as that that was my only gig, but I guess it's definitely my longest gig, and it's the one that people associate uh, my name to the most. So, right. Yeah. So when, I, when you're not on the road, is there, are, are you sort of contractually bound to the gig at all? So like when you're not when you're not on the road for two years are they calling you saying hey can you do the gig or are they just like hey man the gig starts you know next next tuesday rehearsal start or whatever the case may be well it's it's a little bit of both uh when you when you when they call up and they say the next cycle is beginning meaning right. like there's there's an album coming out a single coming out uh, live nation is booking a tour uh they'll call you up and they'll try to reserve a chunk of time right and they'll say hey starting september 20th uh at least through april 30th we're gonna need you and then they, they put you on a retainer sure a c- contractual retainer and say hey uh and it's it's a loose it's a loose thing meaning you can quit at any time you just mm-hmm. have to give them notice or they could even fire you at any time they just have to give you notice uh, uh it's in the contract you know if you right. give us two weeks notice you can leave and we won't sue you or something mm-hmm. but um and and usually that what has happened every time is it is extended a lot longer than they said. So if they said they they're, they're being safe by saying September to April, but it's really going to be September to another eighteen months after that. Sure. You know? But then when the tour is over, it's over. They say, hey, by the way, the last show is going to be at um, East whatever Kaplakistan, <laughs> and that's the last one we're going to do. Uh, and then she's going on hiatus mode. So that means. Uh, you know, AKA your retainer stopping on that day. Right. And you got to so, get in hustle mode again. Yeah. And then get in hustle mode. So, uh, and they, they're not going to tell you, uh, how long it's going to be of a break. It's going to be, but you have to assume it's going to be about a year or two or three, uh, depending on how long it takes her to want to make another record. Uh, it all revolves around her releasing records. So, but in that period of time between albums, they will book one off 
private shows. Uh, hey, she's doing this whatever festival here, or hey, and that's when it's it's total chaos trying to put a show together because everyone in the band is a working musician that goes on tour with someone else. Right. So then you'll get this random email from the manager saying, "Hey, uh, you know." Uh, July 13th, there's a show in Moscow Festival. We're trying to put this whole thing together. Um, how hard would it be to get this th- thing together? And you see people just jumping through hoops to make it happen. So that is, you're not a retainer. You're not contractually obliged to be there, but you're expected to be there. Sure. So it's difficult. And I think over 18 years, I've only missed two shows ever of hers, um, subbed them out to friends. Uh, and they were like one song uh, on this whatever variety show thing. And I'm like, ah, I, I really, I'm on tour. I'm on this eight month tour with someone else, but I'm going to send a friend to play that one song mm-hmm. and, and you won't even notice any difference, you know? But uh, yeah, it's, it's tough because they assume that you're going to, you know, just drop everything and show up for that one concert. But we, we know that that's impossible, you know, right. unless, unless they have you on an annual salary. So you do what you can and you know cross your fingers that it's going to work out right right well it's been Com- working out for 18 years so yeah conflicts i i i have a joke with a, a friend of mine a drummer friend of mine that like it's it's tough to complain about having conflicts it because is. I, because that means that you two people want you at the same time sure. but but it is one of the hardest things about trying to be a freelance musician is that nothing lines up perfectly everything overlaps Mm-hmm. So you're like, you got this, oh, great opportunity, two weeks with this guy. Oh, this great opportunity, three weeks with that guy. And they actually overlap by two days. So right. you have to somehow massage it so it works out or say no to one of them. And it, and it, it always, it's heartbreaking to have to turn down all these gigs just because the, 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 the last concert of one overlaps with the first concert of, of another. And mm-hmm. that happens all the time. So what have, what have some of your other more recent gigs been? Well, I'm currently on tour with uh, this act called Tegan and Sarah, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, before that, uh, what was I doing? I did a tour for an actress named Leeton, Ma- uh, Leeton Meister, uh, and before that, I was doing a tour with Shelby Lynn, a uh, country singer. Um, what else have I done recently? Uh, I was subbing for my friend in Miley Cyrus's band. Uh, I, I was playing gigs, uh, subbing for Kenny, Kenny Arnoff and the Bodines. That's a band that he plays nice. in. Uh, I did a couple Asian pop tours. Uh, those are fun. Uh, one artist was a, a guy named JJ Lin, and another artist was a guy named Lee Hom Wang. They're uh, pretty gigantic artists over in Asia. Uh, so Wouldn't I was doing you like that. fly out there for like the weekend or like for a week or something like that, and you would play like a gig? two nights in front of like hundreds of thousands of people and they come home. Yeah, it is. It, it's, it's, it's the first thing you said. It's crazy. They, that, that, they said, are you available to do this tour? I'm like, sure. But the tour is basically every Friday night or every Saturday night for several months. You're like, don't you want to do some shows in between? <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, oh, well, what, what they like to do over in Asia a lot of the time, this is not Japan, but like everywhere else, uh, 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 they like to just rather than do a bunch of little club shows, they'll just book a soccer stadium every Saturday night and and go around. So it, it's fun, but then it's like, what do I do with my off time? And uh, they either offered to put me up in like Beijing for several months, or I, I opted to fly back to LA every week so I can you know work on those whatever three days or something in between. 
and see my family and everything. So, uh, yeah, I would leave on a usually a Wednesday or a Thursday, depending on, on how long it took to, uh, to get there. And um, I'd do a sound check on a Friday, do a show on a Saturday, and come home on a Sunday. And I did that kind of on and off with two different artists for about three years. Jeez. And I, I got a bajillion freaking flower miles, and I saw pretty much every city you can see over there. And uh, it was a lot of fun. Great musicians, great people, super artists. But I felt like, um, one, I thought, I asked myself, is this killing me? I have no... Right time zone in my body anymore and um, I'm on an airplane half the week and another thing is uh, you do start to feel like people will forget you if they assume you're always gone with someone else mm -hmm. so if you uh, sometimes it hurts to turn down a gig uh, but sometimes you have to do that so it opens up the, the opportunity for something else to happen right yeah they say, oh Paul Brennan oh he's probably he's probably in Asia somewhere you know, it's you'd be amazed how quickly people will write you off. It's right. it's it like you have to your best friends who know you will say, "Hey, I was going to call you, but I figured you didn't want to do it, or I figured you'd be out of town." You're like, "Why? Why did you call me?" To just call, and then I'll tell you whether I'm going to be in or out of town. But people right. just they just they think they're doing you a favor by not burdening you with the call. Mm -hmm. I was going to call you, but I figured you'd be you'd be too busy or too jet lagged. I'm like, "No, dude, I actually actually would love to do that." Right. Right. And so, yeah, so, I, that's the weird thing about that. That's, that's the limited amount of networking that I try to do at the bare minimum is I try to let all my friends know that I'm enthusiastic and interested in doing their three song session or their, uh, their showcase or their one thing here or their, their three show tour or whatever. I'm totally into doing it. Don't assume that I wouldn't want to be part of that. Right. Let's take a quick pause to thank the people that keep this podcast free, and we'll be right back in it with Brendan. For those of you who have been listening for a while, you know that Promark has been extremely supportive of this podcast for months and months and months, and they just came out with the new Mike Portnoy signature stick. It's the 420, and you should check this out. It is a It has a shorter taper, so it gives it faster response and feel for you, and you can learn all about it at Promark.com. Also, longtime supporters, DW, my family over at DW. I love those guys. They make great drums. They've been a part of this podcast for such a long time. And now they have Gretsch underneath their, uh, their umbrella. So I think there may be a Gretsch kit in my future. So if any of you guys have any suggestions on which one to get, let me know. But be sure to check them out at dwdrums.com and you can check out Gretsch.com as well. They're making some, some amazing kits and Vinny Caliuta just got back to Gretsch, which is pretty awesome as well. So do me a favor. Check them out. DWDrums.com, Gretsch.com. And let's get backed into it. Backed into it. You can do it. Put your back. To Never mind. Let's get into it with Brendan Buckley. Are you married? Yeah. Married? Kids? Yeah, one. One? Okay. So the and the reason why I ask this is because I know that you're on the road a lot and especially with that crazy schedule I don't know you know flying back and forth to Asia I don't know if you were married then at the time but a lot of people who listen to the podcast are married they have kids they either want to tour or they are touring and me I just got married in May and well last May and 
2015, I was like, all right, no, I'm not going on the road at all. I'll take gigs, but I don't want to do any road gigs because I wanted to build Drummer's Resource. So I wanted to focus on that. And so I've never been married and touring at the same time. So for for me and for other people who are listening, what's your uh, what's your strategy for making that work? Uh, find a very understanding partner. Right. It's not easy. It's not easy at all. It's. I wish I could say, oh, you know, it's it's if you just do this, it's so easy. It's not. It's mm-hmm. very it's very difficult. And uh, I don't want to sound negative, but. Uh, um, yeah, it takes a lot of understanding on both people's uh, positions. Uh, my wife is fantastic, but she met me. We've been together for, I would say, sixteen years. So she's met me when I was at the height of working. Right. And uh, so it's kind of always been that way. And uh, she, you know, she's been very understanding about that kind of stuff. Realizes that that's how I, I, I that's my job. That's how I pay a lot of the bills. Mm-hmm. So it's important. And also we both, we put a lot of effort into uh, doing the domesticated things. Like I, I plan, I make the the home stuff as important as my gig. So I have a, a show on Saturday, I'm coming home on Sunday, and then we're going to go to that, that uh, brunch that we've been talking about or that person's anniversary or this, this, this uh, birthday party in the park, those, those things are gigs also to me. And I put right. them in the calendar and they're very important. Uh, I never go more than two weeks without seeing my wife or my son, you know. So uh, if it, that means I have to fly home for a couple hours and then, and then go back out on the road, I'll, I'll do that. Oh, um, I, I always made it a thing where I would, I'm coming home on any of my off days. Um, so, yeah, that, that's... that's uh, it's important, and mm-hmm. it's it's important to to, to um, make sure that that's also a priority, and that you're also you know having lots of things to look forward to on the the personal side too. If you're just talking about all the great gigs you're about to do, like I have this show in Greece, it's going to be great. I have this other thing coming up, great. I'm going to do this record for this person. I think you also need to say, yeah, but we have this this great vacation that I'm going to take um, when that's over. In, in June, we're going to take this week here, and then we're going to sure. do this here. So you kind of put them in the calendar like they're as important as the shows you're going to do. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you put that equal emphasis there. I think that helps balance things. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I, I, living... love taking my, I love taking my kid to preschool as much as I like uh, doing a gig. So yeah. I look forward to coming home and waking up and driving him to preschool. It's, it's a, it's a, that's a fun gig for me also. Sure. Yeah. I agree that the scheduling and, it, you know, as cheesy as it sounds, like putting it on the calendar, man. Like I, m- my wife and I, we live and die by the calendar. We always have, even when we were dating, like you got to, if you don't make time, I mean, this is sort of a relationship thing, so we don't need to get too deep into it. But like, if you're not making time for it, you know, you got to work on that. But especially if you're on the road a lot, if you're away a lot, you know, you got to, you definitely have to uh, to make it make it a priority, like you said, not just like come home and be like, oh, well, we'll just hang out for a couple of days and then I'm going to go back on the road, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, especially if you uh, or you know you and I, we have jobs where they're probably the hours are never the same from week to week. Right. So the day the day it's not like we have you know no offense to a nine to five job, but sometimes I envy people that have a nine to five job because they know what they're doing every week. Monday, mm-hmm. 
through Friday, I will be doing this. And then you know where your free time is. Right. You know, I always do this on Sundays. I always do this on Saturdays. I have no idea what I'm doing tomorrow. Right. I, I, every, every day is just, I'm just, I'm, I'm stumbling through the future. That's, right. that's how I, that's how I live. I try to be an organized person, but really I am just, I'm fumbling to try to get some kind of organization going all the time. So therefore, scheduling and things like that is it becomes very important uh, to to everyone's sanity even mm-hmm. you know uh just trying to like you said putting things in calendars and trying to stick to them or or balancing and you know all that stuff it becomes very crucial so do you have i'm really infatuated by routines and habits and things like that so do you have any sort of morning routine do you have any sort of daily routine things that you you got to make sure that that you know no matter what you do every day do you have anything like that uh, yeah, and it changes over over time. I, I would say I've, I'm a big fan of routines also. Um, and I have, like I said, I don't have something that I've been doing for the last 15 years, but mm-hmm. I have, this is my new thing now that I do all the time. But, um, uh, but I, let's see. I could just throw, I could throw some, uh, general terms out there. Sure. You know, uh, I love exercising. So I, I exercise every day. I do, I didn't do some form of exercise every day, whether it's if I'm, I'm in a hotel right now speaking to you. So I'm going to hit the hotel gym as soon as I get off the phone with you. Right. But I also study martial arts. So if I can find some kind of martial arts academy, dojo that I can go drop in and take a two hour class, I'll do that instead because I get just this uh, pretty wicked workout by trying to not get beat up. <laughs> um, so that's something else I'll do on an off day or when I'm back in L.A. Uh, or, you know, sometimes it's better to just take that hike through Central Park or something. That's mm-hmm. also a form of exercise. Uh, so that's one thing I like to do. Uh, I'm a big uh, coffee fanatic. So hunting down a decent cup of espresso becomes a little game of mine. I like From- it. From city to city, people know me as like, you know, my friends know me as I'm going to like read all these reviews and find what are the top five coffee spots in Kansas City or whatever. And I'm going to try two of them, uh, like either before the sound check or after sound check before the show. I'm going to go hunt these things out. It, that's kind of a, a daily ritual for me, too. Uh, and it's not even so much that I need a cup of coffee and I, or, or I'm going to like have a panic attack. I'm fine right. just drinking green tea all day long or whatever. But that becomes... A, a fun ritual for me. I like reading books, so uh, I'll try to read a, at least a chapter of something every day. Um, uh, I always try to do the meditation thing. Uh, sometimes I get lazy and I, I, I leave that out. But lately, I found a good time to do it is before I go on stage. It's just oh, okay. uh, put my my earbuds in, sit in a dressing room on a sofa, and then eat, like listen to some kind of meditative thing for about twenty minutes. Do you use an uh, app or anything or no? Uh, I've tried apps, but really what I like is I have a couple um, audio, um, how can you say it, kind of like uh, little audio podcast style things of uh, Sam Harris or Kenny Werner. And uh, were you ever hip to that Kenny Werner book, Effortless Mastery? Yeah, man, I love it. Actually, I think I have it right. Yeah. Uh, It might be in my studio. Yeah, Yeah. it's an awesome book. Yeah. Amazing. So I, I still have all that stuff that, that uh, the, the audio portion of that where he goes through those four meditations at the end of the book and I still listen to those. Um, yeah, that's for anybody listening, the book's called Effortless Mastery by Kenny Werner. It's he's a piano player, but it's just it's basically I mean the the gist of it is sort of uh, is 
um, uh, deliberate practice sort of, you know, and, and making sure that you're, that you're focused on the things that, that you're practicing. Just get the book and read it. It'll, it'll change the way that you look, that you approach the instrument. Yeah, uh, that that one is a, is a, is a fantastic book. Uh, the Inner Game of Tennis. I don't know if you've ever read The Inner Game of Tennis. I think Galway is the name of the author, but that's a fantastic one too. Uh, about this, uh, that was a bit when I was in college. That was a required reading by my my drum professor Stephen Rucker. He'd say he'd make everyone read this book about this uh, uh, tennis instructor who would give lessons to people, and he and he'd be like, "Man, there's nothing wrong with this guy's mechanics." It's he's psyching himself up, mm-hmm. and he, and he would see that all these people he'd be giving uh, instruction to, he like again nothing wrong with that guy's serve, nothing wrong with his backhand. He's psyching himself out because his inner monologue during a a a match is, uh, don't mess this up, don't mess this up. Uh, you know that was a terrible serve. You know you got right. you know you, you start your your voice starts talking to you in your head, and you can't perform. You're performing at fifty percent of your level because you're talking to yourself while you're trying to perform. Right. So the idea, the idea is take the voice out of it, just let your mechanics go, and whatever happens, happens. That's as good as you're going to be that day. Just go on your, you know, your physical autopilot, mm-hmm. and then afterwards, afterwards you can be critical. Right. You know, the next day with your coach, you can watch a video and say, "Hey, you know what? I noticed that you're you're stress, you're you're putting too much force into this." Or it it, it really changed the way I played the drums, and uh, it, I'm. I might be sounding. I might sound like I'm over exaggerating, but man, no, no, no. I I bought I bought a uh, at the time was a cassette Walkman. Uh, Those those are those are vintage now, and I would record every show I did. It didn't matter how small or stupid it was. I'd record every show, and then I would not think about the performance as I'm there on on the stage. I would just play, 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 play. If if I was about to criticize myself, like oh that was a terrible rim shotter, just stop talking. Play, 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 and tell yourself, "I'm going to listen to that tape later. Then we can be critical. Then we can figure it out." Yeah. So then I would drive home from the gig, put in the tape, and then just tear myself apart. Mm-hmm. But but it was like it helped separate. You know, we're gonna we're gonna approach this later. We're gonna attack the problems later. Right now, you're just going to play. Well, there's there's so many parallels between sports and being uh, be, being an athlete and being a musician. One because it's a especially for drummers it's a physical thing, but the mental game, the preparation, the like you're talking about listening to the tapes later. That's no different than when in when I was in high school and we played football and every Monday what did we do? We watched game tape. Yeah. And we went through exactly what we did, but during the time during the game, you don't think about that stuff. You don't worry about like whether you're pulling early in a in a hole or something like that. You just play the game and it reminded it also reminded me of uh the when Andre Agassi was like at the top of his game right so then he was number 1 ranked player he went down to 10 40 at one point he was like number 500 200 i was going to say 500 yeah. yeah so number 200 and the and i remember listening to a tony robbins thing where he was like there was nothing wrong with his playing it, you know his mechanics or anything like that it was all in his head Mm-hmm. And what he visualized and what he experienced when he hit the ball, what he experienced, you know, going into the game while he was playing the game and things like that. And then he rose to the top again and he's, you know, he becomes Andre Agassi again. Yeah. It's amazing. Also a fantastic book, his autobiography. Yeah? Yeah, it's really good. Does he talk about being bald? He talks about being bald, yeah. Yeah. He talks, about being, bald, talks about being a drug addict. Like while he was a number one tennis player, he was insane. like, like uh, it was, uh, but, and he talks a lot about that, about what it took to, 
to fall down and get back up again, mm-hmm. and it's pretty inspirational. And 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 like you said, very applicable to drumming. I do I do the sports analogies a whole lot. Yeah, my my friends call me analogy king because I'm always like every time I'm talking, I'm like it's kind of like this, it's kind of like that. But I I do I do look at you know, well I I always used to think of drumming, the discipline behind drumming, like being an Olympic athlete or something mm-hmm. like that. Have, and, have you and, seen Kobe Bryant's Muse? No, what's that? Watch that. It's a, it's a documentary. It's a documentary about when I talk about a lot on the podcast, actually, that he it's when he goes through his whole life uh, up until the point where he injures his Achilles heel and then the rehab of that and all. But like just the transformation of when he was in high school to how he became the Black Mamba and he like created this person in his head of who he was on the on the court and then the work ethic. And it's just I mean, I'm from I'm from Philly, so I already had some respect for for Kobe Bryant because he's from Lower Marion. But after watching that, just totally blew my mind. Like there's there's one one of the stories is he calls his trainer at like eleven or twelve o'clock at night. And he's like, "Hey man, we're gonna go hit the gym." So they go to the gym, they work out. It's around two thirty two thirty three o'clock in the morning. The trainer's like, "All right, we're done." You know, Kobe's like, "All right, I'll see you later." So they have team practice the next morning at like seven thirty. And trainer gets there, you know, Kobe's there shooting around. And he's like, what time did you leave last night? And he was like, I never left. Ah. And he was just there the whole time. And he tells all these stories of like, you know, having a bad game and going to the gym and literally shooting baskets all day long. Just the, I mean, just the the dedication and the the precision of the way that he works on things. And he's at the, the top level and he's still doing these things every single day. Uh, it's just, it, it blew my mind. Blew yeah, that's my mind. A, uh, that was what I was going to say at the end there was like, you have to imagine in the NBA, I love to, uh, I love to draw parallels with the NBA because in the NBA, you're looking at the worst guy in the NBA is still one of the greatest basketball players on the planet. Right. You know, the worst guy who could barely get off the bench and, and news reporters are saying, ah, oh, he was a terrible draft pick. And He's one of the best basketball players on the planet. Right. Right. So what, what sets that guy apart? from a Kobe Bryant or a LeBron James or Steph Curry or something, it's like, it's, that other guy is already amazing, but then there's the next level amazing. And it's like, it's all that uh, talent uh, and amount of hours of practice and precision and refinement that those guys put into their game and the mental game and how they can, they're good in playoffs and they're good, they're good, good team player. They're good at getting everyone involved, getting everyone motivated. It's this, I'm fascinated by that next level because there's no shitty, shitty basketball player in the NBA. No. You no. Know? So, it, but, it cracks me up because people are like, you suck. And I'm like, that guy is actually amazing. He yeah. just, you know. But compared to some of the other guys, he, he doesn't shine because the other guys are just so on the game at that point, you know. Mm-hmm. There's a um, – there's. do you know about the triangle offense? Yeah. Yeah? So, mm-hmm. the, I mean, do you know like the um, – what like Phil Jackson's whole triangle offense and how they sure. based everything off of that and everything. that's sort of a sort of a uh, the idea of like the fundamentals of everyone sort of mastering these fundamentals and learning each piece and like you know they he goes into the NBA and he's like all right we're gonna work on dribbling and they're like what do you mean we're gonna work on dribbling? he's like yeah we're gonna work on ball handling skills that's something that you do in high school and we're yeah. gonna do it now for hours a day. 
because your fundamentals are wrong and think it's just it, it it is amazing to me that just the the parallels that that sports has versus uh you know or with with music it's a so you should check that i mean people listening you should check some of this stuff out talent is overrated is a really good uh is a really good book too i don't know if you've ever checked that out uh talent is overrated does that have anything to do with like the uh ten thousand hours rule and all that stuff yeah yeah same deal yeah because i i do i do i do um like to think about that a lot like like natural born talent is important to get you uh started but you know pretty much any guy who becomes successful got there from the amount of hours he put doing that thing not because he was born naturally talented you know right so i don't i don't know if that's what that book's about but i totally it is it is sort of saying that like basically talent will get you too far and then you have to develop skill yeah absolutely from there it's sort mm-hmm. of the what's the uh the bruce lee quote I fear not the man who has practiced 10,000 kicks once, but I fear the man who has practiced one kick 10,000 times. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Or, or guys who, who are in the NBA practicing dribbling skills. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but yeah, like I, okay, so I remember when I was at UM and I got there as a freshman and I was absolutely blown away as a freshman. Like, whoa, look at these drummers. They do things that they're like guys who sound like Jack DeJanet already. And I'm like, and I'm still trying to barely sound like Art Blakey. And these guys are like doing this advanced stuff. And, uh, you know, and I'm like, I, I, this is, this is next. I'm so in over my head. But then a couple of years go by and you realize some of the guys that you looked at as being totally advanced, they just got a head start or they were naturally talented. But then there were other guys I'd see in school who just practiced all the time. And had, a, and had a nice approach to time and feel and technique. And those guys rose to becoming very popular working drummers today, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it made me realize that the, some of the guys at age 18 who were naturally gifted, it, it didn't translate to them being professional drummers when they're 28. It was the guys who were kind of in the middle or bottom of the pack who just knew that I need to be in the practice room every day or this isn't mm-hmm. going to happen for me. Mm-hmm. They developed the right kind of discipline it takes to to be a working musician. Right. Yep. That's all. I mean, at the end of the day, I think that it, it's a lot. I'm Sure, you have to have talent if you suck at something. I don't care how good. Like, I'm never going to be an NBA basketball player. It's just, it's just not in the cards. But for a lot of things, I think that you can develop a, a talent or, or to develop a skill for it and get to where you want to go. Uh, well, I think there's a difference between saying like, uh, you're never going to be an NBA basketball player and you're never going to be a great basketball player. You could probably be a great basketball player. Sure. I'm not sure if being in the NBA is in your cards at this point. Right. But I think if, <laughs> what, if what you, you try, what are you trying to say? <laughs> well, I'm, just saying, I'm trying to give you a little bit of motivation here, but if you said, you know what? I want to be one of those guys who shows up on the playground and just, destroys destroys it yeah you know i think that that could be possible sure no i agree with you on that i I mean i i played sports all through all through uh high school up until i was about 20 so uh like i saw the results of it you know playing baseball and and things like that the funny thing is is i sort of started shying away from baseball because i was like i think that i'm more talented playing drums than playing baseball and i think i can do major tours I don't think I can make it to the show in baseball. Mm-hmm. So, but I can still destroy it on the on the field now. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, go to the batting cages and knock knock out those eighty mile an hour pitches. All right, so I'm a, a quick aside. I'm sure that people are like, "What is he talking about?" But I got to tell the story real quick. A buddy of mine calls me, 
And actually, we were at the bar one night, and he goes, hey, man, we should go to the batting cages. I'm like, okay, that's cool. He's like, man, I've been playing this video game. And he was like, and I'm just like crushing it every day. And he was like, I really want to go to the batting cages. I'm like, all right, let's do it. So we go to the batting cages. We start in like the, the slow, you know, the slow section. I go, hit a couple, go to medium, go to fast. And I'm like, are you going to start where? He's like, no, nah, man, I'm just, I'm just going to jump in there. He got 100 pitches, did not hit one ball, <laughs> not one. And I'm like, and I was hitting the ball pretty well. And I just kind of turned around. I was like, man, I was like, video games are not real life, my man. Yeah. He's so confident about it, though. He's like, we got to, he's like, we got to go, we got to go. And I was like, do you even play baseball? <laughs> the answer, Virtual reality. Yeah, the answer is no, he does not. Um, mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit. Um, I want to be cognizant of your time because I know we're, we're running kind of long here. So what do you have, uh, what do you have going on in the future? What are, what are some things that, that you're working on or, or that are sort of on your roadmap? Uh, and then also how can people get in touch with you if they want to study with you? Or you said you're going to announce that you're doing Skype lessons on the podcast. So. Yeah, you know what? Uh, my, a lot of people ask me if I teach them you know, via Skype. And I always say yes, but I never really back that up by mm-hmm. doing it. Uh, uh, most people take lessons with me when they're either in Los Angeles, uh, they live there or when they're passing through because they're doing a gig or something, they'll hit me up on my website or on Facebook and they'll say, Hey, can I swing by to take, uh, two lessons with you or something? Or occasionally if I'm in a city, I'll, I'll book something at a drum store or some music school. Uh, but I think you're right. You've inspired me to say, uh, I should probably also do the Skype thing because Sweet. people should. People show interest, and I should, I shouldn't be lazy about that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I I have a website, brendanbuckley.com. It's pretty easy to find me there. I have Facebook pages and Twitters and Instagrams and uh, all sorts of things where I can be found. And uh, things that are coming up. Well, like I like I said earlier, I'm currently uh, on a tour with Tegan and Sarah. And that should be on and off for the next year or so. So if either I'll be doing that or I'll be filling in the downtime in between with various uh, other gigs with friends of mine or recordings for people. I have a studio in L.A. that I usually fly home and book uh, sessions where I can do tracks for people remotely. So I have two of those awaiting my return uh, when I get back next week. Uh, so that's a nice way to fill in the the downtime between um, touring legs. Do, uh, do you have a you have your own tracking room? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I have a I have a room. Uh, when I bought a house, and specifically because it had a uh, a separate guest house that I could soundproof and set up a, a drum set with the microphones and preamps and Pro Tools rig ready to go. I like it. And uh, pretty much a lot of my friends who are uh, are musicians and producers they. They uh, they know that if they're working on some kind of uh, project and they want to get live drums on it, they can call me up and I'll squeeze it in at some point that month. And a lot of times they don't even come over. They just send me a, a track and say, just do what you think will be right and send it back to me and I'll do it. And mm. nine, nine times out of ten, there's never a comment. Every now and then they'll be like, hey, you know what? I'm thinking maybe a brighter snare sound or I'm thinking maybe right. could you could you do that unison figure going into the third chorus? I'm like, absolutely. And I'll just go in and fix that one section for them. Mm-hmm. And, so do you let other drummers come in and use the room too? Uh, you know what? I have never done that. No. I've, I've tracked full rhythm sections there. And, and one time my, stu- my studio took a dive right in the middle of a project and I went over to my friend's room, uh, a guy named Blair Sinta. 
I, I, I called him up in the, um, on a Sunday afternoon when he was playing with his kids. I'm like, dude, can I, ask you, can I ask you a huge favor? Are you using your studio right now? He's like, no, I'm not. I'm like, I, I have a deadline today, four songs. Can I come over and use your place? And he was totally nice about that. Nice. And, uh, but yeah, so, but usually it's just my little, my little room to practice and record and do some productions and things like that. Mm-hmm. Do you, so do you like that side of, of doing things? Would you, if, if you had to choose touring or studio stuff, what would you prefer? Yeah, that, that's, it's, it's funny how often people throw that question at me and I've never, I've never had to choose. Mm-hmm. I always, I never thought of myself as one or the other. Right. I've always had, I've always had interest in both and I've always tried to maintain one foot in each world. Uh, and I think uh, that is kind of the current model. I think maybe in the eighties you heard a lot about the studio guys who would never go on the road and the amazing road guys who never recorded records, you know, and, but I think now, like the amazing studio guys are still looking for a touring gig every mm-hmm. now and then. And, uh, you know, pretty much everyone on the road also wants to do sessions when they get home. Right. So um, I, think, I think the model is you've got to kind of do a little bit of everything now. Yeah, I agree. And I, and agree. I, 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 I love both. I love um, performing to me is fun. It's, uh, it's great to be on stage with other musicians. It's great to be in front of an audience. There's an energy to it. There's a there's a an aspect of uh, execution and precision that I like about that. Like how well can I play this hour and forty minutes worth of music? And let's see how well I can play this without messing up. Mm-hmm. I like that. And then in the studio, I feel like it's a little more about um, how artistic and creative I can be on this one song. It's only three minutes long, but. How can I play the perfect beat, but also make sure it has some kind of character and, and signature to it? And I, I find it to, to tap into slightly different parts of my brain, and I, and I like that too. Sure. I, I can see why guys would gravitate toward one or the other, toward but one I, the other, I, right. kind of, I like both myself. Hey, man, as long as, you can, as long as you can do it, good for you, man. Keep doing it. Yeah, yeah. it might only last another couple months, but I'm going to keep trying to do it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Man, well, Brendan, thank you for for taking the time to to chat with me. Thank you for for reaching out before too, uh, emailing me and, and telling me that you listen to the podcast. That means a lot to me, and uh, I appreciate you doing this. I appreciate what you do for for drumming out there. And if anyone out there wants to get in touch with Brendan, go to brendanbuckley.com and you can you can contact him about his newly released uh, Skype lesson. Uh, conglomerate that he has coming that's going to come out i don't even know what that means but and uh but it's, thanks. All, it's all thanks to you you'll, you'll get 15 percent of those lessons and I, I like it i like it uh i'll uh i'll invoice you yeah so well cool man thank you so much it was, it was great to chat with you appreciate it it's my pleasure let's do it again sometime i would love to cool All right, so there you have it, guys. Mr. Brendan Buckley. Again, if you want to sign up for the free webinar, How to Get Bigger and Better Gigs, check out drummersresource.com forward slash gigs. I do it every Wednesday, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, if you like the podcast, please rate it and review it on iTunes. I appreciate it. It helps the the podcast show up higher in uh, in the search results and things like that. So... I hope you have a great week. If there's anything I can do for you, shoot me an email, nick at drummersresource.com. Until the next podcast, I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.